welcome, uh, welcome to this week's episode of uh, of You Can't Be Serious. Uh, I'm, I'm my name is Joshua Trace, and I'm I'm joined by my usual two co-hosts, Matt and Mitch. Guys, hey everybody, hey. what's up, guys? And, and uh, we're 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 back to music. Uh, actually, I forget if we talked about music last week or not. I think we did. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, we're talking about music again today, uh, and we're framing it around. Uh, a little bit of Beatles talk. Paul McCartney came out with um, a new album today, the day this episode drops, but not yet the episode, the day this episode is recorded. <laughs> uh, this episode is recorded the 17th. New album will drop the 18th. And uh, Paul McCartney also released a, um EP with a few re-releases uh, earlier in the month. So we figured it now is a good time to talk some Beatles talk. Uh, uh, we've, we've also had a release by, uh, by Ring Star. Um, uh, with a star-studded cast of, of of stuff, he just released a single as well. So it's Fuck very you and that a lot pun. of a lot of Beagles, a lot of Beatles stuff uh, happening right now in the news. Very impressive for folks that old to be still putting out music. is is a It's a delight. It's it's nice to hear them coming out with new stuff. What do you think of the new single there from uh, Ringo Starr, Matt? Honestly, it was uh, good. It was good, but it was uh, it was it was just good. You know, it was it was kind of what I expected. I, I I I had a little conversation with with Josh about this, and like, let me just read off some of the names. Hold on, let me let me pull that list up again. It's uh, it, it's started. It, it's crazy. Uh, who? Hold on, what is the name of the song? Uh, Here's to the nights. Here we go. Yeah, so it's got um, wow, uh. uh so Paul McCartney's actually on that song. Uh, also, Joe Walsh, Steve Lukather from Toto, Dave Grohl, Jenny Lewis, Cheryl Crow, Lenny Kravitz, Chris Stapleton, uh, Corinne Bailey Ray, uh, Billie Eilish producer Phineas, Ben Harper, Yola, and Black Pumas member Eric Burton. Uh, the song was also uh, written by star songwriter Diane Warren. Um, so just a whole lot of cooks in the kitchen and like, you know, I just feel like when you've got that many people, you know, all, tr all try to get a flavor of themselves into the sound, it, it ends up kind of all, you know, becoming a, a stew, you know, it's hard to distinguish any, dis any one flavor. It's just kind of an amalgamation of flavors. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a fine song. It's a, it's a pop song. It's, it's. It's just well, fun. you know, it reminded me. Of, go ahead, Mitch. It remind, yeah, it reminded me. You guys ever see the Last Waltz, the band? Of course. And you know, love the, that. Documentary. Yeah, and, yeah, great documentary, great album. You had a lot of great musicians all playing at once. Um, I believe it was when they did uh, the night they drive uh, old Dixie down. I believe it was when they did that song. That's what this song kind of reminded me of in terms of, like Matt said, there just being so many big names on it. It's not. I'm not listening to that song thinking that I'm going to be able to pick out the distinct uh, sound of a musician like Dave Grohl. It's just the fact that he's there. The song's a very celebratory song. It's a very rah-rah. It's the end of 2020. Uh, we're looking for a brighter future. I think that's where Ringo was coming from when he was putting something together like this. Just something to kind of try to lift us up. So I don't think it's going to blow us away musically, but an okay song i think it got the point across and i i would venture to bet 
that this song was probably made in a fashion that had these star studded people um, acting more as session musicians than anything else. Because if I had to, if I had to wager about how this was done because of COVID, I would wager that Ringo Starr wrote a song and at some point along the songwriting process, or someone wrote the song, doesn't matter who, you pedantic man, um, (laughs) and then recruited people and said, hey, I'm going to send you a Dropbox link. Why don't you record a part for this? And then just did that with all these famous people. And then everyone just kind of tacked on a little bit, very studio session-like, studio musician-like, session musician-like where they sat down and went, all right, what can I do here? They asked me to do a a drum part. They asked me to do a vocal part. They asked me to do a guitar part and then probably just did it that way because that's the way I've heard. I've heard Corey Wong talk about this as being part of his process even before COVID. And I've heard other session musicians talk about how this is kind of like all they do now is just home studio sending out audio files via Dropbox links or Google drives or whatever. Um, Because I think if they did this in studio, pre-COVID times, you know, where they could squeeze all of these people into um, the same studio, either at the same time or over the course of a few days or weeks, it would, this would be a very different song. Oh, yeah. You think? I think so. I think you agree with more flavor. <clears throat> so, I mean, like, I think you're totally spot on with, that's probably how they made it, right? Because just with... The name of the EP is Zoom In. Think about that. I'm sure it was made that way. Zoom in. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. They definitely didn't record this like all in a room together, like going like, oh, what do you, how do you guys think this will part will sound? Like, oh, that sounds great. Let me do that. Like, it wasn't like that. Um, and so that's definitely part of why I think, you know, what you're saying, Josh, it, it was really uh, all of these people were acting as studio musicians. You could replace them with anybody who knows how to play an instrument, right? And you'd end up with a, uh, maybe a similar product right um but like i just think when like even if they were all together right this that's just so many cooks in the kitchen right that's so many people all from like various musical backgrounds right that it's impossible i think for the song to sound like all of those people and still be a good song you know what i mean like without it being like corny where it's like you know like a, a minute of cheryl crow and then like a minute of fucking you know dave grohl and then like a minute uh you know like it, there's, it just wouldn't work you know what i mean right and i i think that if they were doing an in-studio thing this wouldn't have happened for that exact reason i think the only reason we have this many people on it is because having all of these famous people who deserve to have a say wouldn't go well, and you'd end up with something really odd. I I don't. I'm not going to say bad, but I think it'd be odd. Um, so, like, do you think? Like, I I guess why why do you think they did this? What like is is this like my? Like, I think Mitch feels- is right. I think they wanted a feel good thing. Yeah. And, and and you know, oh, are, are they all are they all dried up? You know, do they need cash? You know, no, are they just, uh, I, mean, I, I, I think this is, this it, is you like know, a, a are the world situation from the from the eighties or nineties, whenever that was. You know that Michael Jackson song where like everybody yeah. on earth was in it. Yep. We yeah. are the world. Yeah, that, we so are I, the children. So I thought of that. Um, 
it it felt weird comparing this to that, but I didn't it, think of that, it. Kind of right? is though. Yeah, it, it right, kind of is. Hold on, hold on, real quick. Do we want to let Greg in? Uh, no. Too many cooks in the kitchen. I he's my brother, <laughs> so I I have to stick up for him. I'll always say yes, but we have to keep him on a short leash though. If it starts getting out All of right. hand, we we pull the plug and we say, "Greg, that's it." But and I'll and I will explain that to him. <laughs> All right. Let's see if he joins. Oh, Greg. Oh, Greg. Because Greg will have something to input into this, but if he gets too off track, we'll... He, he actually did this to me and Corwin both times we recorded this week. He did this to us on Sunday and yesterday. Why? He just <laughs> asked to join in and then came on the show and just was here for like 20 minutes. Was he any good? Yeah, did he contribute? I mean, yeah, he he wasn't. He wasn't he, 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 I was gonna say, I'll put it this way: he was not high and googling disc golf stuff during the show. That's good. There you go. Okay, well, so th there's that. Far more okay. active in his listening and contribution than he was last time. Is he coming, brother G? We are waiting. I don't know why, but the please looks so desperate at PLZ. <laughs> <laughs> it's less letters are more impactful. <laughs> You're right, because when you get a K instead of an OK, it's heartbreaking. Oh, God, that's the worst. What kind of oxymoron is that? Less letters, more impact. Actually, it's not really. It's just really how it, it, it is. It feels blunter. It does feel blunter. It, it, blunter, yes. All right, Greg, we are going to move on. If you want to join us, yes, let us know when you do so we can introduce you. Oh, he just, he just, he's not even online anymore. Okay. No. All right. Well, he can see that at least. So, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so we were talking about we are the world, I think. We are the world, yes. And Matt, you were willing to make that comparison or not willing to make that, that comparison? Oh, I told I made that comparison in my head. Like mm -hmm. I just feel it just felt weird. Because I feel like in my like we are the world in my head is like a it's a much bigger song than what this is. Is it because that song has time? Like we've had time to reflect on what that song Probably. means. I mean, that's uh, without a doubt. That's without a doubt it well, feels that way. I, I think another part of it, Matt. No, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Sorry. I was going to say that I've had time to like develop uh, like a full opinion about the, the the song and like its place in pop culture and right where this is like this other song, this Ringo Starr song is a brand new song. I haven't had time to fully sit with it yet. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody and, has. Though no, that's true. I I I think another part of of We Are the World though is our, we're ignoring Craig this time because he is still recording. Um, I I think another part of it is that We Are the World was, one, for a charity. Um, and so that was like a clearly defined... And I, I really like wouldn't be surprised if you told me that this song was having its proceeds being donated as well. Um, 
because that's what just wouldn't surprise me as to who Ringo Starr is as a guy. And I can't imagine any of these people are, you know, strapped for cash. But I think the other part of it is that the people who are on We Are the World were very of the moment, or at least mm-hmm. at the height of their fame. So, yeah. you know, like Lionel Richie, Michael Jackson, um, who else was there? I know Holland, uh, Hall of Holland Oates was, was there. Uh, Oates might have been there, too. No one keeps track of him. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good point. All of the, all those people were like very much in the 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 midst, right? The the, the high point of their careers, right? They, it wasn't like a it wasn't like Ringo had... Starr, who's like everyone knows who Ringo Starr is, but is he's not like prescient. Uh, he's not in the moment. No, not I would even guys most of the people... circle. There's there's people that don't know Ringo Starr. We're getting to that point in history. Kind of yesterday's news, if for some circles, man. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he's very much so not. He's he's not a current pop culture figure, right? He's not in the news. He's not doing stuff. He's just famous for having done stuff before, right? You know what I mean? Like his. It feels weird to say that his, his time has passed, but like his time has passed. <laughs> <laughs> It's not anymore. Yeah, that's fine. You know, like you know, I mean, there was a there was a time like like if Ringo Starr had done this in nineteen, I don't know, like nineteen seventy two, right? It'd feel way bigger. Yeah, way bigger. Cause like, cause it would matter more to people. I think. Oh yeah, I mean, this is an eighty year old man. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think, I think it's, it, it is kind of like, it's, it was a fun thing to do. You know, it was, uh, it was a, it was a quarantine. Project. Yeah. And I, I think that's what it is for what this was for everybody on this record, on this song. For music in general, what kind of music do you think that we're going to see in the next seven to eight months? Now that we've had some time for these artists who have been in quarantine, they're not doing nothing. They have to be working on some type of music. I'm yeah. curious to what kind of impact that's going to have on the songwriting. What kind of songs are we going to see out of this era? It's something I haven't thought about until right now because I just seriously considered what you guys were talking about. I mean, if Ringo put this together with all these people, it was virtually. Yeah. There was no yeah, like yeah, yeah. in-personness. What is that going to do to the sound of music that comes out for the next six to eight months? Is it going to be, be- it not? Is it going to be better or worse? I'm just curious to how it's going to make it's it gonna sound. Be, so I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think we're going to see a huge, like, so in like, like the, the, the big name, like big label acts. I don't think there'll be, I mean, maybe, maybe in like the, the sense that the songs will be, you know, about, you know, listening to them with the pandemic in mind might, you know, be, something but like i i feel like a lot of like big name acts there the music is not gonna sound it's not gonna be like oh my god they they figured out how to do this crazy thing while they were in lockdown but what i do is there's a lot of uh like smaller acts out there right who aren't necessarily attached to, to to big name labels who have who don't have access to like you know big studios and things like that during the the shutdown um that a lot of 
there's going to be a lot of like really interesting like indie records that come out of this. Um, and that I think is what I'm more excited for. Like, I think like, like, uh, I don't know, like, like, like who's like Ariana Grande, right? I, whatever album comes out of hers next, I think is it, I don't think the pandemic is going to have an effect on like the way that that album sounds or like, um, if, uh, I mean, even if somebody like the Foo Fighters, right, comes out with another out, like, I, I think it's still going to sound like a Foo Fighters album. So I, I'm going to hard disagree with Matt um, okay. because I would contend that most indie groups are probably doing a lot of their own recording or are doing recording at such a level that switching from whatever cheap budget studio they were doing it in as compared to doing it in a home studio situation where, as Matt and I think I've talked about before, the home studio environment has improved dramatically in terms of sound quality over the last 10 years and five years, especially uh, in terms of availability and affordability. I actually would think your Ariana Grande album might end up being more impacted than anything else because one of the other things is that indie record producing bands are probably doing it on a limited to no budget anyway. They're writing all their songs themselves. They're playing all their instruments themselves, all that shit. And if I am a record label, I am seeing a colossal dive in revenue because I'm not selling concert tickets anymore, which is how they make money. Because record mm -hmm. labels do not make money from the records. They make money from selling tickets. And that, I don't know if it's going to impact anything that has to do with the with the with the the flow the workflow of an Ariana Grande record, but maybe that means that a record label had to lay off a songwriter, or they have less budget to go with their usual guy who plays bass, or they had less money to go with their usual mixing guy or sound editing guy or whatever, because there's the money being a factor is mm -hmm. way less of a factor for an indie group than it is for a corporation. And I'm not saying we need to help the corporations because as no, 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 but, but I get what you're saying. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will say the, the one thing I'm so hating already and will continue to be a hater of this for the foreseeable future is the fact that we are calling all these things quarantine albums when it seems like it's more so just people doing their jobs. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm all for the fact that Taylor Swift released an album. It's also literally her fucking job. <laughs> like, I don't care that she did it during quarantine. Every musician that makes albums doing is doing it during quarantine. It is think, their job yeah. to make music. <laughs> it is their job, and it's a fair point because it they, is a fair point because everybody is right now working. Everybody, yes, it's yeah, but it's so. I think the reason why somebody might say like that it's a quarantine album in quotes is that be, it's just a new circumstance that the artist had to deal with before like none of us had to deal with before and i think that's what interests me about the how the quarantine and how COVID is going to impact the music industry is that it's just something it's new it's new territory it's new waters and, and taylor swift's going to have to go through some adjustments and these indie bands that you never heard of are going to have to go through some adjustments i'm just curious to what <laughs> it's doing from like the perspective of the artist because we all know like music is written from music written from within you know music is written from somebody's perspective and this is all perspective altering experience that is covid do we see I, taylor swift's perspective altered in this new in this new record i haven't listened to it yet have you i haven't either matt i know you're a bigger swift fan than than me have you 
No, you're the second person to ask me now. I really need to get on it. I need to listen to the album. <laughs> I think all I think all three of us have to. So, but, so point, yeah. I, I like asking the right questions, Mitch. I think the it's it's probably a, a different answer for for like everyone for every artist. Um, the one thing though that is like definitely a thing for everyone though is that. Uh, like the i think calling them quarantine albums right acknowledges that there is this shared uh like limitation right that like everyone has period right whether it was whether you were like good on on money or like not good on money or like your the way you record albums was wasn't affected whatever um <clears throat> like there was this uh you know that was kind of like the 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 i don't know like the shared experience that uh had making all of these albums during this time period i and i i think there's a lot of truth to that cuz i i would say because so actually i think taylor swift we stumbled into into one of the best people to talk about with this because she does a lot of her own song songwriting mm -hmm. i i i, I don't want to say 100 percent. everyone does 100 percent of their own songwriting because i don't know and i don't want to discredit anybody who might be behind the scenes on it but even though taylor swift writes her own songs that doesn't mean she's not working through ideas within those songs with other people and not even yeah. with the music where she's going to bounce the instrumental ideas off of other people because that's just I mean, no matter who you are, you have to get ideas. If you're not a bassist you, and you need bass on your track, like you're going to ask a bassist. But yeah, there's very few lyrics, people who like know, she, who can write and do the whole thing top to bottom without any help. And I don't even mean that like she needs help per se. Just that she, that might be part of her process now that she's been yeah. in music for like just decade. without like, anyone else. Yeah, yeah, she might just be used to like being in in the studio and like having I don't know her an engineer or producer she really likes and be like, what do you think of that line? Does that work? And it's not to say that she can't still do that, but it's going to be done in a different way. So I think, I think the the combination of Matt and Mitch's you both both of your questions is probably like the answer to to both of them is is that it's going to be different because the circumstances are different. Even if you're an independent person, just that that typical flow is going is going to look different. I wonder how I wonder what McCartney's record is going to sound like. It's gotten good awesome. reviews. So it is. He's still such a great so, songwriter. And so now that's so that's a an example of a. So I don't think McCartney three. It would sound any different if we weren't in lockdown. Like uh, maybe not any different. But I don't think someone who hasn't heard the album yet. So, <laughs> so I, I don't. I think lockdown or not. I think a very similar album comes out because right like he this isn't he's already made two of these albums before right and and not like two, like two of this but like two of two of the two albums w using this process right of kind of like doing everything right um and so that that idea of you know like isolated and being kind of like on your own making an album isn't a new thing like he would have gone into mccartney three with that mindset anyway even if he you know even if there wasn't a lockdown you, you know what i'm saying 
Yeah, I get what you're saying. Because, like, that's why he's calling it McCartney 3 is because on, you know, McCartney 1, you know, I, I can't remember if we were, we were talking about the story of um, it. It came out in, like, 1970, right after the Beatles had broken up. Um, and he recorded it, you know, basically in his in his house with a four track recorder, like and just did everything himself. Um, and it was like a very uh, like formative time for him as his own <clears throat> as a songwriter personally, because it was like, you know, the first time he was like really exploring himself, you know, outside of the context of. And um, obviously that he then went on to record a second one. Well, just using that same method, right? Kind of like just all on his own. I think he used a 16 track on that one, but uh, for McCartney 2. And so McCartney 3 was always going to be an album where, you know, he did all the instrumentation and just recorded it all himself. So, you know, maybe maybe thematically, maybe there'll be a song on there called COVID-19 Lockdown or some shit like that. Obviously, that wouldn't have been a song. Um, but I think, you know, regardless of whether or not the quarantine is happening, that album gets made with a similar mindset. Um, it just so happens that that mindset is I'm going to make this album on my own, like, and record it as if I'm in lockdown, you know? Hmm. Do you think Paul went out and talked to other people while he was writing stuff he did post Beatles or was it just for those projects? So, I so, think- so I don't know about like into the seventies, right? Like by the time his solo career is like kind of taken off and like, he's going to play him with the wings and stuff. I'm, I'm sure there's, he has musical collaborators and stuff, but from what I understand and from what I've read in like those really early days of his solo career after the Beatles broke up in like 1969, 70, 71, um, a, a lot of that time music, like, and he wasn't like working with other people. He was trying, he was like trying to figure out how to, how to kind of like create his own identity outside of the Beatles. And like, he was like really trying to, there was a lot of uncertainty like that he had with, you know, himself and, and just like, I think he had like some personal struggles, things like that. But um, in those early days, it was very much like him trying to figure out how to do it. I mean, I'm making it sound like he was like, starting out from fucking nowhere all right this time he's very much so paul mccartney like he had been with the beatles for you know eight years i think you make a good point because you could hear that in his in later beatles song the long and winding road i mean that was Mm -hmm. a song that was written by mccartney at the end of the beatles career he was already asking those questions so i think you hit the nail on the head i think that's exactly where his head was at at that point in his career um i think that he was kind of he was searching for an identity outside of being the cute guy from the Beatles, which is something that he didn't like. He didn't like being the cute guy because yeah. he felt that kind of stripped away. He like that kind of stripped away like the emotional complexity that Paul yeah. has. Paul Paul thinks about things for a while before he has a, an opinion on them, and uh, and he's developing that opinion of himself through that part of his career. Where I mean, McCartney won. Oh man, you can really hear that in his. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, we talked about it. It just sounds like such, it's such a raw album. And you can you can totally hear that he's, he's, he's kind of laying it all out there and going like, well, this is, this is, this is who I am as a songwriter, just Paul McCartney, right? 
and, and people fucking loved it. And like that, that I think really cemented like his legacy outside of the, you know, it, for the Beatles, right? If you just look at his career post the Beatles, he still have, you know, has a prolific career um, and would still be regarded as, you know, one of like the greatest artists of his time outside of all the work that he did with the Beatles. Um, and so all of that, right? All of that together, right? Is why I, I, I think McCartney three, um, this is like the, for it. this is a, right um but i'm not sure that it'll be influenced a whole uh, that much by you know sonically by the pandemic i think i think so so the only reason why i'll disagree with that okay so sonically if you're making that distinction your case is, is a little bit stronger in my eyes but i think i revert back to that characteristic of paul's songwriting in that he reflects a lot on paul reflects on his own emotions. We talked about his complexity. I think that that reality of living through this pandemic, he's not going to be able to just look at that and just say, oh, yep, bad things. going to go back to writing my music. I think he might be wrestling with some of these things. I'm just curious to how he speaks towards his emotions in that. And as I look down at the computer here, before we go on, just want to introduce my dear brother, Greg, a uh, friend of the podcast. How are you, Greg? Hey guys, thanks, thanks for letting me jump in real quick. No problem, man. Hey, we're just talking You're about welcome, Paul buddy. McCartney. Paul McCartney. Okay, good. I'm gonna listen and I'll I'll, I'll come in and I'll come in in a sec. Yep. So we're just yeah, talking I, about Go ahead, Josh. Sorry. No, no, I I was gonna say I I think again I think you you and Matt have two sides maybe not even two sides of the same coin. I'm not sure what the correct expression would be here. Because I think Matt's right that this probably wouldn't be too different in some respects. I mean, we haven't heard the album yet, but I don't. I wouldn't think it would be too different from a standard different from a different McCartney record because of how McCartney. Because, like, how do you put any part of Paul's albums in one spot? And I don't think you do. He's got a pretty broad range of subjects and um, genres and feelings that he touches in his work that I think lend him to being a pretty, you know, broadly genreed dude, which is going to make anything he comes up with, unless he drops like a fucking metal or rap album, pretty much expected, you know? <laughs> Whereas I also think, Mitch, you're right that it might affect what ends up actually hitting pen to page and being the subject matter and the overall tone of the record. I could see it being either more hopeful or more somber or whatever, however the pandemic has affected him. But I also think we would get some of that mindfulness from him in a different form in a different album anyway. You know what I mean? So I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's going to affect it the same way like a breakup would affect um, someone's album, like like an Adele album or whatever. But that being the the what it is, like you probably get a lot of if if that breakup didn't happen and Adele was still putting out a record, I'm sure you'd still get a lot of similar ideas musically and otherwise, similar feelings musically and otherwise, similar lyrics um, 
to certain extents that you would have anyway, because I think that's just who she is as a songwriter, you know? And, and so I, I, again, I think it's kind of both. Right, right, right. I understand. So Paul McCartney's got a new album that he's releasing from quarantine and it hasn't come out yet. Tomorrow. It comes out tomorrow or or today. Today, Yeah. Yeah. Podcast release date, the 18th. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you see, I mean, I mean, I don't want to go too far off the rails, but you know, you see a lot of people <laughs> who are a lot of these albums out that are, uh, you know, quarantine albums, and you know, we find all these musicians who are trying to find new ways to adapt and and whatnot, and you know, you know, Taylor Swift, and he just didn't. Matt Tory, you probably already mentioned this. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Oh, we had a whole conversation about this already. <laughs> yeah, that's you, what just, you just happened to join a little too late. We've already that's, you're recycling through. If the, you like, joined when you said you would have, you would have been prime for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Like, have you listened? To the record? <laughs> None of us have listened to the record. Have you? For what? For Taylor Swift? Correct. Yes. Uh, no, I have not listened to the record. There's also okay, a great so album out there too that just released a quarantine album too, named. Um, Sturgill Simpson. Have you guys heard of him? Sturgill Simpson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's the um oh my god. He's a he's a bluegrass guy, right? Yeah, yeah, and I and it's the the album covers him mowing the grass on a mower that hey Mitch, the one that like dad had with us growing up. Oh really? Oh really. But yeah, no, he just released a quarantine album that was pretty good too. It was very, you know, he's got a very bluesy, like deeper jammy feel to some of his albums but this is like five piece up band upright ba- upright bass player banjo no percussionist type of bluegrass yeah it's like straight up bluegrass yeah yeah um, but it's it's pretty good it's good I, it's I, good I, though like it the the music is lyrics right like what he's singing about is like it's like deep stuff it's not like it's interesting it's like it's like uh I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like it's like it's it's like thoughtful blue bluegrass. If that makes sense. I like Greg. I looked up this. Uh, he's got a great style. I love this. He's got looks like he's riding a lawnmower that was built in yeah. nineteen through space is what it looks yeah. like from his website, which is just a it's a great look. I'm gonna have to look this guy up. So he said. So instrumentation wise and songwriting, does he have any versatility to his songwriting or is he just strict bluegrass all the time? No, that's what I'm saying is that do you remember when Caroline and I went to that Willie Nelson show at PNC Art Center and it was like Green Sky Bluegrass, Lucas Nelson, The Promise Real, Sturgill Simpson and uh, Tedeschi Trucks were playing. And okay. that's where we first and honestly, he came across a lot jammier than you would expect from this album that you're going to listen to. Like, he had a four-piece band. It, you know, they were super jammy. He was, you know, he has a great voice. Um, and I loved it. You know me and, what, you know, the type of music I love. But this was almost like a, to- I mean, I don't know if this is a totally different style for him, but definitely something different than I'm used to person from listening to some of his are you guys collectively a fan of the uh, the bluegrass sound? Yes, I can. No, I, I've been tuning I, this conversation out. I love <laughs> bluegrass. Bluegrass. Why, why do you say that, Josh? Music. 
Oh, because I just don't care. Oh, no, I understand. Okay, so say more. I'm curious uh, to why you don't like it. Is the banjo? Uh, you're not a fan of the banjo? I, um, I'm, I'm not a fan of country, and bluegrass feels too country for me. But I am a fan of folk, so uh, it's like every now and then well, I'll so hear a bluegrass song I care about, and then every now and then I don't. And I'm not sure where that line is, but it's there for That's me. That's my question. Yeah, because I also don't like country music. But as I've listened to more folk music, I felt my appreciation for bluegrass and country becoming like that line has shifted a lot for me recently. So I was just because I, I know you're a big folk guy and it's, it's hard to walk that line for me sometimes. It's when, it, it's when the country for me gets a little less rooted in, in what the blues is really about, which is singing about how you're feeling. And when it gets into telling the story that we've all heard about the woman you lost and you're drinking the beer at the bar. I just don't want to hear that story every single in every single song. As long as you don't do that, it could sound as, you know, back backwoods Virginia as you want. I, I kind of like that sound. The banjo is like a that. very, very cool instrument. I like that too, Mitchell. And there's a there's a comedian out there, and I I I'm 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 hoping I'm getting this right. His name's Bo Burnham, and he just plays the piano. Have you heard of him? He was one of these, you know. Yes, he's a very comedian. famous comedian, Greg. <laughs> he's, 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 he's been a comedian for like 15 years. You are so late to the party here. No, I, I, don't, feel like I don't feel like I'm late to the party because I was about to mention about how. Dude, you're so late. To the party. Dude, he he directed a whole ass movie like two years ago that went to like Sundance. Like, dude, you're so late to the party here. <laughs> okay, fair. I'm pretty late to the party, but I'm gonna go back to one of his stand-up routines where you know he talks about stadium country. Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, yeah, I, off, just from off. saying it. Yeah, I I get that. Stadium countries, the Luke Bryan's of the world, who've got. The acoustic car guitar strapped and slung around his shoulder as he's carrying a microphone walking down the fucking giant aisle off the front of the fucking stage to, you know, go sing in some girl's face who's got a fucking cowboy boots on up to her knees and these short jean shorts and fucking a button-up flannel that have the sleeves ripped off and a fucking cowboy hat with a gigantic fucking brim. But all we know is that they really just live in Hunterdon County. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was very a very passionate and descriptive uh, account. Yeah, I, feel, I, I got I got that. Very passionate about country about stadium country being not good music from not only a listening perspective but from a writing too. Like I just feel like it's so lazy. I feel like you know you get away with just like having a decent voice and and you know promoting that to the world and maybe having a decent stage presence, but I feel like the music writing is so, so lazy. But that's my hot take. And is that it, the country it, it, that you... Yeah, is that the country you try to shy away from, Josh? Uh, that, is that, is uh, that no, what turns you off? It's most country music. I don't know. The, 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 there's no Jews in country music. Where's yeah. my guy? Where's my guy? <laughs> All right. I got you there. But I guess the only reason is because I associate country with American history. Like, just as, like, it's an American music. Like, it was founded in our country while it was a country. That's the only reason why I feel a little connected to it. Because while, 
I, I hear you. There's no Jews there, but there's plenty of Americans there. I guess that's the only reason why I could see like a little bit of a connection to it. There's great documentaries out there about like the beginning of bluegrass and Delta blues and, you know, the music that was coming out of the deep South at the turn of the century. There's a lot of great stuff. And when you, when you boil it down, a lot of that music is the music that jazz came from. And then jazz goes on to, you know, is the counterculture that inspires rock and roll. So it's, you trace any part of music history, you know, it, it all has a similar, a similar spot. I can, I, I respect not, not getting down with the banjo sound all the time. It, it, it gets a little repetitive, a little old. Are you, okay, so you're saying, okay, so that makes sense because country music really came from like, you know, the Wild West days and jazz definitely. I got it, Josh. I found a Jewish country music artist. His name <laughs> is Ray Benson. <laughs> Ray There's your Benson. guy. There's your guy. Ray Benson. Yes. I know, I know what you're getting for Christmas, you Jew. In addition to his work, so his, he, he's an accomplished music producer who's credited by Dale Watson, Susie Bogus, Aaron Watson, uh willie nelson aaron neville brad paisley trace adkins and a bunch of other people trace adkins is big yeah this guy looks definitely looks like a a country guy all right there's my guy so the oh this is so this is how i found him i googled right i just googled uh jewish country music artists article that comes up is that uh, this guy, Ray Benson, is one of only two, count them, two Jewish country music stars. <laughs> I don't know who the other one is. But, uh, oh, here we go. The other one is uh, Richard uh, Kinky Friedman, whose band is called the Texas Jew Boys. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the Texas Ooh. Jew Boys. That makes me uncomfortable. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy shit! Oh, no. Josh, have you ever thought about trying to transition your life so you could be a Texas Jew boy? Uh, no, no. I <laughs> my 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 guiding principle for where I like to spend my time is that I must know that there is at some somewhere, some way, a temple within a twenty mile radius of where I am. If it can't fill that requirement, I'm not going there. Wow. So this guy, so this, uh, so what? Uh, Kinky Friedman is his name. <laughs> Kinky Friedman is uh, apparently a pretty good chess player. What? We get it. We get it. He's Jewish. Let's move on. <laughs> Queen's, Queen's Gambit. Anybody watch it? No, her eyes are too far apart. <laughs> I'm kidding. No. I I'm, I have not watched it yet. It's on the radar, though. I know it's got a lot of good, got a lot of good views. Matt. So hold on, I haven't seen it, but I'm just reading more about Kinky Friedman here. You guys yeah, got to hear. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, I want to. I want to hear. Yeah, I want to hear. hear more about Kinky. You got to hear about what it's some. So these are some of his most famous songs, right? He's got a song called "How Can I Tell You I Love You When You're Sitting on My Face." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna mute myself um, so I'm not too obnoxious with my laughing right now. And he's got another song called "They Ain't Making Jews Like Jesus Anymore." 
<laughs> a, so a song in which Kinky verbally and physically beats up a drunken white racist who berates blacks, Jews, Italians, Greeks, uh, and Sigma News in a bar. Uh, okay. This is compelling, Josh. This is very compelling. Dude, I'm telling you, man. Uh, he, uh, he toured with Bob Dylan in 76. He was on the Rolling, the th the rolling Thunder Review. Uh, claims to be the first uh, full-blooded Jew to take the stage at the Grand Old Opry. Wow. Um, dude, I'm telling you. There's a vibe. Josh, you were asking. Josh, you were asking for who? who you I man. Uh, you know what? You, no, you know what, Matt? I uh, I still don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Because you, you, you know you know what part of the problem is, and this is a very minor point, is that you had to Google those guys. We all know who Bob Dylan is. Not He's only out there. This we all, we all know this who Janis is. is here. This is why we're here to tell the people. Kinky Friedman is a name to be known. That name should be yeah, known. Man. Let's talk about it. And so and if, you can't remember Kinky, if you can't remember Kinky Friedman, just Google uh, Jewish country music artist, and he's literally a, literally the only one. <laughs> or, or you could spend time listening to Carol King and, and, and Tapestry, because, because there you go. It's right there for you. Uh, he also ran for governor. He ran for governor in 2006. He lost, but obviously. The yeah. governor of what state? Texas. All right. All right, gang. Let's, let, let's bring this back to the Beatles. Anyway, uh, as I was saying about Paul McCartney's uh, new album, uh, <laughs> Um. What, what, what were we? I don't even know how. How did we get on country music? Uh, because Greg brought us there. Sorry. I have a question about. We, I have. A, I have an. Opinion. We were talking about quarantine albums. Yeah, All right, hold on. Let, let's hear Greg's question. I have. A, I have a Paul McCartney question. If I. If All I right. Go it. ahead. When Beatle outside of Beatles. Paul McCartney, what do you think of as his most popular solo song? Song? Yeah. His most solo song. Whether it be you know, solo or even with the wing. So I, I, I just want to start off by saying that I'm so disgusted that Greg referred to the Beatles as Beatles, and then he referred to Wings as the Wing. He got yeah. neither of the two <laughs> two of the most famous bands. In the like twentieth century, got neither of their names right. No, no way. You said yeah, you Beatles, did. it's the Beatles, and then you said the Wing, and it's Wings. Wing. Um. Paul McCartney. I don't know, and probably either. Probably either. Maybe I'm amazed, or uh, maybe Live and Let Die. Uh, Great song. What do you think, Mitch? Would you have said the same thing? Yeah, I'm a live and let die guy. I like dramatic songs. It takes me on a maybe journey. Born, think... Maybe Band on the Run. If, yeah, if that's what I was about, that, so, with, I was about to uh, say. Band on the Run. What about that one? What do you think, Josh? I'd probably say maybe I'm amazed. I'm 
sure that's the song or, a lot of people have heard on the radio. Jet. Fuck ton. Uh-huh. I make time. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, you guys you guys saw that Paul McCartney's coming out with a, a new documentary too, right? I haven't really. About what? Yeah, it's about it's what? him and Rick Rubin. Fuck you, Matt. No, I, I mean, I, I, is it just about him? What's he been doing? Is it about, I don't know, making music? Know, is it about... Like, yeah, well, I mean, look, yeah. look, if you're going to tell me there's a, a Paul McCartney documentary, you're like, what are we talking it, about? Are we talking about, about literally everything? A baker. That's a lot of fucking stuff. Do you know Paul McCartney's been making candles in his spare time? No, I mean, <laughs> come on. Like, I, mean, I mean, like, are we talking about, like, the making of McCartney 3? Are we talking about, like, his... Are we talking about like <laughs> I don't know, like his hobbies? Like, like is it even yeah, a documentary can, about Paul McCartney, or is Paul McCartney just making the documentary, and it's actually a documentary about like fucking uh, Tupac or something? You, do you want to hear what Mr. McCartney had to say for himself, or do you want to keep you know? You know what he has to say. <laughs> yeah, so Mr. McCartney said he said that. It's a quote six part documentary of behind the scenes magical mystery tour of McCartney's unbelievable musical journey. Ruben will be there to explore the music and musicmanship of McCartney from his guitar and uh, composition all the way through the legendary prolific success of the Beatles. So just I would I can't wait to see the conversation between those two great musical minds. It's just gonna be the two of them talking about music. So it is about like everything though. Like Ruben. Oh, okay. What's it going to uh, be on, Mitchell? Rick Rubin. Is it going to be on Paul McCartney, dude? Did you not just listen? No, I mean, like, what's it? I'm, no, I don't know. Like, streaming wise, streaming wise. Um, it doesn't say in the article here. It does not say. So I don't know. That's a good question. I, whoever has the rights to that, make some good money. So I just googled. Paul McCartney's back launching his own book. What did you say? Do? No, I was going to say, I took a page out of your book and uh, I Googled something. The eight things you might, not know, about, uh, might, not, might not know about Paul McCartney. Are we interested in them? Is that a thing that's in my book, Googling things? <laughs> well, I mean, you did it earlier. On it, it's it's the Matt Tory signature move. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that my sure? Just no, googling at, at Google, they call <laughs> using their service a Matt Tory. You're a fuck. Ah, see, so you pulled a Matt Tory there and used our <laughs> service. Matt Tory. Are we interested uh, to hear these? Uh, no, I don't need to hear you read a list. <laughs> That's fair. Just want to oh, no list reading. <laughs> Uh, so no, I I do want to make sure we, I because I I wanted to ask it at some point, and we've been going for a while, so I want to make sure we get it in at, at at least for a brief discussion at the end. Our opinions on on Beatles versus Stones, um, because this is a this is a question that has been around like for literally the last fifty five fucking years as to which band people prefer, and I want to hear uh, what you guys think on the question. So I think it's the only reason that we make that, that that even an argument that was even like a discussion whatever was that people like 
comparing stuff and like arguing about stuff and there was no one else to compare the beatles to like size scope like there was just an easy like not to downplay the success of the rolling stones obviously they were a hugely successful band right but like i don't think they achieved what the beatles did in terms literally changing how you know, changing music right changing the way people think about music and the way people like record music and and the whole nine yards i, I think it's a little bit like uh when people make the comparison between uh like tiger woods and phil mickelson obviously they're both great golfers um like not to try to you know discredit or downplay phil, phil mickelson in any way shape or form fantastic golf Tiger Woods is literally one of the greatest, like, to ever play the game. The guy has won 82 uh, PGA Tour events to Mickelson's, like, 40-something. The guy spent, like, 600-something weeks at the world number one. Mickelson's never been the world number one. Um, but he was, like, a contemporary who was also good. And so I think that's why people make that uh, comparison lot outside of the fact that you know they were both big bands coming out of britain in the 60s um that you could say like oh the stones uh mm -hmm. had a bigger impact on pop culture or the a stones. bigger impact on music or anything like that is it who i prefer or what kind of impact like matt said towards the end of that what kind of impact they had on music they, they were contemporaries of the same uh, I just don't I don't want to discredit the quality of the Stones music as it was not completely contingent on the sound of the Beatles you know what Mick Jagger and Keith Richards or what those guys were able to do over there was create a little bit of a different identity for themselves and while they were playing at the same time I just think it's they just had two different paths to they're both in in my both members of the rock and roll hall of fame great bands of all time i just like the sound of the beatles just personally i just like i just like the way their songs sound a little bit better than the stones stones are a little bit of a heavier listen a little bit more of the bad bad guy you know rough and tough image but that's what they were going for so i can't hate on them for going for what their image is i just prefer the sound of the beatles what do you think josh yeah well i i I think the reason I like the Beatles more is that you can get a Stones feel from other places without it being the Stones, but you can't do that with the Beatles for a large portion of their catalog. Earlier Beatles stuff, you know, where it's a little bit more kind of generic late 50s pop rock sound that was before we morphed into uh, the full counterculture movement and, and got some more specificity out of what would eventually become the Beatles. I think you could find that a few other places, but once you get into like the beat, well, you know, once, once you hit like rubber soul, you know, we're in the Beatles and I don't think you're finding that anywhere else, but the stones took a very much so um, blues approach to things. And I think they did that blues rock thing as one of the, they, they are one of the best iterations of that. You know, if you're looking for who is one of the greatest blues rock bands of all time, the Rolling Stones are like right there. But there's only so far you can go with blues rock. There's only so many ways you can play that. 
And I think you lose some of it, some of the originality and the re-listenableness of it, you know, or the, 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 I don't know what the right version of that word would have been, but you get it. Replayability. Um, sure. There you go. Um, I think you lose some of that when it's with generically speaking, blues rock, because a lot of blues rock sounds like that. Not that the stones are doing anything wrong. It's just the nature of doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But is that like back to like a personal thing? Like you just like you for you, blues rock doesn't really kind of tickle your, you know, tickle your listening ear. Is that what comes back to? Because I think there's plenty of depth that can be so, had within the in the genre of blues rock. So my thinking, I, I think so too. But I, uh, I, yeah, I, I. We stopped. I'm gonna keep going. Uh, I, 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 I can something. listen. Well, we'll get to you in a second, Greg. Okay. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I, for me, I could, I could listen to, um. Like, uh, fucking, god damn it, what's some of the Rolling Stones song on the tip of my fucking tongue? Can't always get what you want all the time, you know? I, I, I can listen to, to fucking, like, Ruby Tuesday and shit, but, you know, like, uh, Satisfaction, that's, that's a blues rock song. And I don't care. Because it's not, it's not in my ear. I don't need it. And I can get that song somewhere else. So, it's part. It's partly that yeah, I, I blues rock ain't necessarily like my 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 jam, and and what makes it even harder is that if it is, I don't need it to be from there. Greg, what understood. Do you got? Good point. So let me let me come back to the question at hand really quick. Right? Are we talking about which was a better band? Or like, which had a better impact on society, or more of an impact on society? You can answer it however you want, man. However you want to answer it. So the one thing that stood that that came to my mind is, and I, I think we can all kind of relate to this because I'm pretty sure all of us were in some type of high school slash middle school band growing up. Would that be correct? I mean, That's... I was in band as a kid, but I was never in a band. Right, right, right. Exactly, though. Right, right. All right, Josh in like high school and maybe i don't know did you ever do jazz band then josh what did you do in high school i know you did i know you sang and i knew you were part of the music but you know i can tell you exactly what mitchell did in high school for band i can tell you exactly what matt tory did in high school for bands what did you do josh in high school nothing high school i was only in choir i played i was in band in middle school but i really didn't like my middle school band teacher so i quit what did you play in middle school Gosh, in in band, what did you play? Trombone. Really? Trombone. Yeah. I didn't know that. A lot of lot of boners I, here. Lot my of grandfather boners. plays trombone. My grand my oh. grandfather's played trombone in the same orchestra for like 45, 50 years. That's wow. so yeah. I knew that. He, awesome. I love the trombone. He, he's a, the one he he like organizes trips with his buddies to go to art museums, right? Virtually. Yeah, that's that, my that, grandfather's thing. My grandfather has two yeah. weekly Zoom calls, one with his friends where they just kind of hang out, and one where they do online tours through art museums and talk about art. Wow. I would love to hear yeah. that as a conversation. And what's so fucking funny is that I was talking to him about it the other day, and he was like, yeah, but we mostly just skip around and try to find all the Jewish artists. 
He was like, yeah. I was like, how do you know? He goes, well, we look it up. Like, all right. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, we were taking a tour of an Italian art museum just trying to find all the Jewish Italians. And I was like, I didn't realize that there were that many. And he was like, oh, yeah. And he starts rattling off Italian Jew artists. And I was like, how do you know this? But that's, the man likes what he likes. Because he does it once a week. Yeah. That's wonderful. But anyway, Greg, so you're making a point. Yeah, like, so we were all, so we all did music at, in our adolescence. So what kind of yeah. impact does that have on us, Greg? Do you, do you remember the first time you played a uh, Beatles score in jazz band, band or concert band? Because I remember the first time. And it was. Was it Norwegian Wood? Norwegian Wood in summer jazz band. And it was the first time we ever met who? Kenny Cordasco. Kenny Cordasco. Yeah, I remember being Kenny Cordasco. Yeah. But anyway, so what does that mean about yeah. the Beatles, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, they were there. They wrote the song, Norwegian Wood. You remember? Yeah. So, so, like, so they're playing Norwegian Wood in, in summer jazz band where we met this, ra this random dude. What does that mean for the Beatles? No, what I'm trying to say is that... <laughs> Uh, how about this? Greg started this off by saying their impact on society. Well, what I'm trying to get at is that now tell me the first time you played a Rolling Stones song growing up in high school or middle school in some type of, of concert band because I I don't remember playing one. So uh, my point I think my high school band did painted black. Okay. Hey Greg, I remember yeah, and I remember seeing that on a couple well, now that I'm thinking about it, I think somebody in Stone's marching band show one year, I remember watching. Actually, yeah, you're right. I remember that, too. But I, I remember I, that, I too. Think, I think from a, from a younger generation in the educational side of music where, you know, you really get a lot of those types of listeners and who understand the Beatles' impact, I, I, I think that they had more of an influence on that on society in that way than, you know, trying to going back to what Josh was saying is that, you know, there's only so much you can do with blues rock like the rolling stones did you know like i mean i'm with you josh and i'm with you mitchell too like paint it black like yeah that was a great marching band song like that was you know parents ate that shit up kids ate that shit up you know what i mean yeah sure. and you know the other thing with paint it black is it starts off with that sitar intro but it started it did the sitar thing after the beatles did their sitar thing and and that i think that is the real Thing that I think there's two main things that helped feed this conversation being a question, and that is the fact that they were, you know, the the two biggest selling artists in the world at the time, at the same time, and that it seemed like the Stones kept copying the Beatles, um, in certain in certain parts, and so there was a there was a a um, like there was a conversation around how they were employing music in that way as well as they both got slowly a little bit more experimental in what they were doing but the stones being a blues rock band never quite hit the experimental uh pedal to the metal the way that the beatles did um yeah their and, sound know, I, didn't really change as much as the beatles did over the course of their tenure i mean like mick jacker was always getting up on stage and yelling and running around from their time playing in clubs in england in the 60s to if you go and saw him two three years ago i'm sure he's doing the same thing and you know what, Mitch? Point, I was about to bring that up too because I think if you see a Stones concert today, they're going to play "Ain't No ain't, uh, uh, Satisfaction." They're going to play "Satisfaction" the same fucking way they played it 
1960, whatever, when it came out. And I don't think the same thing would be true if the Beatles were still touring and they played Please Please Me. No, no, it would sound completely different. But that's just because of the course of, you know, the, the Stones, they had years and years of touring together uh, to develop their sound together that the Beatles just quite frankly didn't do. They played live music for like two years and were like, nah, we can't do this. We just want to be all day. That's why their studio stuff is so good because they didn't really tour. They weren't wasting all their energy doing that. Where the the Stones, on the other hand, they were out making money, hustling, selling tickets, you know, playing stadiums. The Beatles well, played stadiums also, for how long? Until well, 1965. Mm -hmm. Well, I think also part of why the, the later Beatles stuff sounds the way it sounds is because they weren't trying to tour any of that stuff. Or they were able to go like, oh, and like, what if we do this? And what if we do that? Like, not worrying about like, how the fuck are we going to recreate this on a tour? No, you have it, like, you have it the other way around. The the Beatles didn't want to tour anymore, and to justify not touring to their company, uh, to their, <laughs> their, their record producer, they started over instrumentalizing their music to say, "We can't tour this anymore. We have guitars playing backwards. We can't do that on stage." Um, and they used that as a justification for not touring. Really? Yeah. Huh? Because they that didn't want to anymore because, because, because they couldn't hear their, they, they couldn't hear themselves in the in the the speakers um uh the the monitors on on stage because of the crowd screaming and they didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, so like I oh. knew they didn't want to tour anymore. I knew they were done with like they like just weren't a fan of that like that life. Um, but uh, that's interesting though. I like justification for. Literally can't play it live. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and it, it's something that you still hear today from a few groups. It's like I remember when um we talk about Corey Wong a lot in the show. If you know who he is, he's a guitar player, plays with Wolfpack, and has a colossal solo career. Um, but he came out with an album late last year, early this year, uh, where he played live with the uh, Metropole Orchestra, um, uh, okay. somewhere in, in Eastern Europe. Awesome album. It's a great album, and he got asked, "Why didn't you tour this record?" And he said, "It's it was." I, he said, "I wanted to, but it was prohibitively expensive because I'd have to pay all these musicians, and I just can't Everything afford might. to pay them." Yeah, yeah and there's so might. many, and he's like, "And I would want to pay them fair market rate because you know he's a musician. I want to value my musicians, yeah. and he just couldn't do it." Yeah, and that that's that, and that's a guy. He's not he's not Taylor Swift or anybody colossal, but he's a that's a big name. But so does not so not touring did that impact? So back to the the Stones Beatles. I th I think that was really like the point I was just trying to make was that I think one of these reasons why we might have said that the Beatles were a little bit more experimental and had a little bit more of a unique, distinct sound is because they put more effort into it than the Stones did, but not to any fault of the Stones as musicians. They were just out hustling, trying, and you know gigging around and that's not a bad way to uh, to make music either it makes great music i think like i think i think what we're getting at here is that the rolling stones you know did what all the other bands at the time were doing they just happened to be good at doing they just were really good at it right they mm -hmm. made records went on tour sold out shows like and we're just a, a popular band but in like a very traditional sense i i think the stones the had riffs and the beatles had ideas 
Yeah, hey, that's I'm a good go one. Push, man. Egg, thanks for stopping by, buddy. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Greg. Right for Tampa, everybody. I will. I I have told Josh I am getting ready to purchase podcast equipment for Caroline and myself for Christmas. So there's there's something on the horizon. Great. So, you so keep an eye out for the for the for the podcast network. Would you say, Matt? You're just going to invade other people's podcasts. Is that what you're going to do? Well, I hope that you guys will invade my <laughs> podcast as well. We'll come no, no, on no, don't start your own podcast. Just just invade other people's podcasts. As long as you guys keep having me on the channel. Sure thing, man. All right. Good night, good good night, guys. Night, Craig. Good night. The Beatles impact was is different though, from because of that time in the studio, because of that unique path for them. That's and that's, I think, why we, I, we all kind of identify with, identify with the sound a little bit more. It's just a little bit more different, more unique. I just like this. To me, early Stones is just so chaotic and so in your, your face. I just, I like it sometimes. Contrast to the Beatles, so like, lovey-dovey, everything I, is good. Like, I th- I've said multiple times that I think, like, if I were like a teenager right growing up in the 60s i think i would i would have been a bigger fan of the rolling stones um based on the kind of music that i know that i like now i think the reason <clears throat> now that i am not as satisfied like like i'm a huge led zeppelin fan right like i really like that like hard rock sound and so if I'm like a teenager, right, growing up in 1964, right, I'm listening to the Rolling Stones. Um, but now, like, because, this, you know, they have influenced so many bands to go on and make that, like, hard blues rock. To scratch. Them. And just, you know, to Josh's point, there really isn't anywhere else that you can go to hear stuff like the Beatles other than the Beatles. It's funny you bring that up. Cause I was about to say, I was about to use you as an example of, I bet you, when you're feeling in the mood for that, like harder rock sound or that, that grungier, you know, early, early blues rock, you know, ty- type of noise, you're going to go find the Led Zeppelin instead of the Rolling Stones. And, uh, yeah, that yeah, yeah like that's pretty definitely. accurate. Yeah. Yeah, and so like if it were if if it were a different time, you know, I, I can totally see myself being a fan of the Rolling Stones. Um, but it's interesting that 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 I think you know, other than the fact that they're contemporaries, you know, they both are from the '60s. Is that is that the really the only reason why that that people about like uh, who do you? What you guys said, I'm, 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 I'm cutting. I'm, I'm not hearing. I, I was just saying that, like, no one ever asks about like the who. Like, no one ever says like the Beatles or the Who. Like, it's always the Stones. And I mean, the Who were around the '60s. They're making rock. Music. Yeah, but the Who was yeah, but they were yeah, they're telling the No, no, I don't think I don't think that's true. I th- I'm pretty sure the Who and and the Rolling Stones debuted at like the same time. 
Was it the same time? Yeah, I thought, I'm, dude, I'm pretty sure the like my generation. The, that's first, like my generation came out in '65, and uh, the Rolling Stones' first album came out in '64. Oh, there you go. I'm pretty sure it's just the fact that they were they were one and two for selling records. Yeah. So like I, I just like I, I I feel pretty certain that like you know for the next you know hundred years people are gonna be talking about the Beatles as songwriters, the Beatles as musicians their impact on you know what people are gonna be talking about the beatles for a, a while like they they did a lot and they were pretty prolific i i don't think that the rolling stones are no i think you're right and i, I think, i'm I, gonna i'm gonna put it on it i'm gonna put it on in, in in this way and that is how many songs on the rolling stones debut album which is which is called um the Rolling Stones. How how many songs do you think the Rolling Stones actually wrote on that record? They were uh, all covers. I don't know. Half of them? They're all covers, I believe. One. They wrote one song. They wrote Tell Me You're Coming Back. Everything else is a cover. Huh. Everything. You know how many songs they wrote in the second album? How many? One? Uh, Three. No, I don't know. Really? Three what, out of three. Out of what 12. Were those three? Uh, the, the three were um, Good Times, Bad Times. That's their song? Okay. Well, okay. So there's that doesn't a sound right. Um, they also wrote Congratulations and Grown Up Wrong. So then maybe the Stones are just better performers than they are songwriters, might be the point. Jeez, they uh, they did not write, and then geez, you know how many songs they wrote in the third album? They, wow, they did not write a lot. Three, two, one, three, three. Yeah, they they wrote "What a Shame," "Grown Up Wrong," and "Off the Hook," and then everything else is a cover. Wow, I I didn't realize they wrote. I I knew, I knew they did covers. I didn't realize they wrote this little of their own music in the early years. And, I mean, to be and, fair, I'm, though, we yeah, are yeah. talking about a different time in music. Like covers were right. I know, but I think that's that one of the a, things that's really separating the Beatles from them is that you know, in '64, yeah. the Beatles were still writing their own songs, and I know that that was a big deal at the time, and that's part of what makes them a unique group. But I mean, I, I think there's also a lot to say there in regards to an earlier point that we talked about, which is the Stones are doing a thing a lot of bands did at the time just super well, and the Beatles weren't. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Beatles were innovating and the, the Rolling Stones were, were, were just, you know, reaping the benefits of a, you know. Stones were like uh, polished anarchy. Yeah. Well, how do you get off my cloud as a All right, anyway. On their 1960. On, uh, just saying, Mick Jagger, Get Off My Cloud's a great single. At where, 1965? Hey, hey, you, you've been off of my cloud. What album is that? Yeah, that's a great thing. That's off of December's, uh, December's Children. Yeah. Wow, they came out with the, when you, four albums in 1965. That's crazy. Well, I guess it's easier to do when you're not writing your own music. 
they, what they did was they wrote one album and exactly so, those, yeah. all of those releases over you know a bunch of different albums and just filled them up with covers yeah what's funny so for december children they wrote one song on the on the a side um one out of six and then they wrote five out of six on the b side so they they, they willingly put almost all their own music on the b side of their own record Look at that. That's, Wonder. That's funny. Um, anyway, do you guys anyway, have any other points? Oh, I love that debate, and I look forward to, for people to be talking about that for eternity to come. Stones, Beatles, there's no wrong answer. Yeah, I think, I think at least for now, it will be, you know, an, an ongoing. Um, but I th I think we I think we're all pretty much in agreement here that I think you know the Stones were good at what they did, but the Beatles were the first to do what they did, you know, and being first at something you know it makes you sometimes a little bit more notable than just being good, right? Yeah, agreed. I did about. McC um, you know, if you're listening to this now, and uh, you should, when this is over, you should go listen to McCartney three, and then, and then, uh, yeah, go about your day after that. I don't care what you do after that. Uh, Mitch, any any concluding thoughts? Nope. I hope everybody's well, and uh, thanks for thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us again, Josh. Of course, buddy. Um, so next week, our episode will be coming out on Christmas. The week after that, our episode will be coming out on New Year's. So look forward to some fun holiday-based topics and discussions coming up in weeks to come. I know we haven't done anything too festive yet. We're saving all of the festive thoughts and energy for the holidays because we have episodes dropping on the day. So ignore your family and spend the holidays with us. <laughs> Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at YCBSPod. And if you want to hit us up uh, on email, you can do so at YCBSPod at gmail.com. And uh, until next week, um, y'all have a good one. <laughs>